Let's go ranking now, everybody's learning now. Come on, rank some Beatles with us. Come on, rank some Beatles with us. <laughs> yes. Was that better than the last one we did? Yes. Okay, I feel like you liked that one more. I did. That Good. one was really cute. Thank you. I also like doing um, leg slap drums. Leg drums, yeah. yeah that's, that's the way good. to do it. That's good times. Been on a Beach Boys kick lately. You have been on a Beach Boys kick It's summertime. Lately. It's Beach Boys time. Mm, it's like Beach Boys and Rosé season. Mm, yeah. 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 I like it. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to episode 80 of Ranking the Beatles. Uh, hope you're all doing wonderful. If this is your first time here, I am your captain oh, of this your ship. Captain. I uh, I'm your captain. I'm your host, Jonathan. You're oh, watching too much Below Deck I with am. me. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, over here to my left in navy blue, looking ravishing in navy blue. Thank you. Did I ever tell you that you look great in navy blue? No. You look great in navy blue. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, over here to my left, the lovely Julia. How are you, my dear? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I've had a pretty good day today. So do you think you're more of a Captain Lee or more of a Captain Sandy? Mm, I'm the empath of Captain Sandy mm. with a bit of the, a streak of the no-nonsense of Captain Lee. No, you're full Captain Sandy. You're <laughs> full, full Captain Sandy? Full Captain Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you have very much Captain Lee in you. Uh, you know, I'm really good at going, God damn it, <laughs> son of a, and like all the things that he says. I think I do that a lot. I'm sorry for anyone that doesn't watch Below Deck. You You're should watch Below out. Deck. It's the best way to waste your time <laughs> that we found is. in a long while. I absolutely just rot my brain watching Below Deck <laughs> these days. It's fine. Yeah. It's pretty good though. I, I do enjoy that show. Um, yeah. Well. Where were we? <laughs> where were we? Yes, our, our podcast. Welcome where to we Ranking rank the Below Deck. <laughs> that, you can start that one by yourself. I'll be your co-host if you want to do that. Oh, that's but you cute. have to you have to do all the work on that. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Okay. Figures. As much. Moving on. Um, hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 80 of Ranking the Beatles. Hope you're all doing wonderfully. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. What we do is we have a list that we did during uh, the pandemic where we ranked all 223 songs uh, recorded slash released by the Beatles from least favorite to most favorite. Every week we have a new guest. We talk about a new song in the list, and we're working our way through this list. Episode 80 finds us here. Very excited about that. Um, yeah. Y'all, our guest this week uh, is a retired federal investigator, a private investigator, an adjunct professor, and a lifelong Beatles fan. Uh, she's worked high-profile capital, criminal, and civil cases in New York City and international investigations for Rolex, Gucci, Warner Brothers, Levi Strauss, and others. In 1964, though, she gained notoriety as a teenager for running away from home from Cleveland, Ohio, hopping a flight to England, and trying to track down and meet the Beatles, triggering an international missing persons case. Uh, the story is told in her new book, My Ticket to Ride, How I Ran Away to England to Meet the Beatles and Got Rock and Roll Banned in Cleveland, which is just a fantastically long but wonderful title. That is so great. I also want to talk about how rock and roll is banned in Cleveland, but somehow they have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, I think they lifted the band oh, to have okay, the Hall good. of Fame. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they realized they couldn't get one without the other. So, But I am super excited to find out more about this story. So, friends, let's dive in. Let's do it. Please welcome to the show Jan Mitchell. Jan, welcome to Ranking the Beatles. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Good. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to have you. Um, I've heard so much about you and about your book, and I know we have a lot of mutual uh, Beatle friends on Facebook. So it's nice to finally get to uh, put a name or put a a voice to the face, I guess, and actually get to <laughs> yeah. to talk to you a little bit. Um, I'm really interested and excited to talk to you about this. You've got this book out, um, My Ticket to Ride, How I Ran Away to England to Meet the Beatles and Got Rock and Roll Band in Cleveland. So there's so much I want to unpack here, and I'm really excited about it. Um, one of the first things that we usually ask our guests is kind of what's your Beatle origin story? So I kind of want to know, you know, how did you first encounter the Beatles? What was that first initial impact on you? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, the first initial impact... 
uh, took place the day after Christmas in 1963, where I was 15 years old. Uh, it had been, 1963 had been a very hard year for me because I lost my, uh, my great uncle, who was the only light in my life that I had ever had, and he, he died suddenly. And then also later that year in November, uh, President Kennedy was assassinated. Mm -hmm. So it was a very bad year, and it was, I was just trying to get through it. And in those days, uh, music, you know, was so important as it is now. But back then, there was no technology, no internet, no Google, no iPhones, no nothing. So <laughs> it was strictly the radio or records, if you wanted to hear any any music. So that's what we did. So if you think of this time period as a song called Dominique, sung by a nun in French, <laughs> with an acoustic guitar was number one on the billboard sounds like a fun one <laughs> it's a fun one yeah but we had louie louie you know a song we weren't supposed to listen to <laughs> and but we did of course and bandstand and so you know kids have to have music so it was very important to me at that time kind of keeping me going and we had heard that a new disc jockey was coming to cleveland named jerry g he was coming from the big city of chicago so then um, disc jockeys, they could make or break a song or a group they played what they wanted to play. And also you could call the studio while they were on, on air and you could talk to them, you could make requests. You know, it was much more kind of a free flowing, you know, time. Mm -hmm. So I'm listening, I turn the radio to the station and there's Jerry G. And he's just announcing this group called I thought, the Beagles. I said, Beagles. And suddenly a song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, the opening chord, I think it just like charged through my entire body. It was like incredible, incredible transformation. It was so amazing. I never heard anything like it before. It was electric. It was like a lightning bolt hit me. And I just picked up the radio and held it as close to my ear as possible so I could hear every every word, every chord, every single thing. I, I couldn't get enough. I jumped up, uh, picked up the yellow receiver to the telephone. Telephones were on the wall in those days mm -hmm. with those long curly cords. And I'm calling the studio, hoping to get Jerry G to ask him to play the song again. And the line was busy. It was busy every time. So every kid in Cleveland must have been calling the radio station, asking him to play that song again. Or who are those? Who is that group? At the end, he said, and those are the Beatles from England. Wow, the Beatles from England? Oh my gosh, how exciting is this? You know, now my whole world is like, like gonna be brand new now. So that was my first, um, my first contact with the Beatles. So yeah. now I'm right there at the very beginning of Beatlemania. So I'm part of history. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What were you, what was kind of your what were you into prior to that? You know, were there was there other was there another band that was kind of doing it for you at the time before that, or was that like the first big like band, first time you were into a band? That was the first time I was ever into a band. In my life, I loved music, and I loved classical. I loved um, you know Bach, Beethoven, piano solos, Gregorian chant. Uh, I was a music lover always, so um, rhythm and blues, even which was unusual for a kid, like mm -hmm. rhythm and blues. But I had saved up enough money to get a record player of my own and go to the library, and you could check out any kind of records you wanted to listen to. So whatever looked good to me, I'd, I'd listen to them. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, in regular pop music that kids dance to. Of course, you know, we were into that, but nobody in particular mm -hmm. until the Beatles came. Yeah. So, so they hit you first. Sidebar, shout out to libraries, like right. <laughs> decades of service to the community, right? just like absolutely oh, crushing it and doing so much. The libraries, librarians, they were gold. They didn't judge you. They just helped you with whatever you wanted, little card catalog, you know. Mm -hmm. Still today. Was, uh, <laughs> still today. Yep. Yeah. Still today. Yeah. I love it. Love the library. Sorry. Go on. That's okay. So... <laughs> So this, so you, so this comes to you, you said the day after Christmas in 63. So then they yeah. show up on Ed Sullivan in February and then yeah. they come to Cleveland when in 64? 
September 15th, 1964. Yeah. And, and when do you start to make this decision that you want to try to go meet them in England? Early February in 1964. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just decided that, um, I, I had to go to England. I needed to go to Beetleland because I was a very unhappy uh, teenager. Home life was really dismal uh, for many, many reasons. And the Beatles, I had to go to where they came from. I wanted to breathe beetle air, walk on beetle soil. Mm-hmm. And that I wanted to be happy is what I was really seeking with happiness. And I thought that's where that's where it was. So my best friend and I, of course, we listened to Beatle records all the time. We made up the Beatle stories like, you know, the girls did in those days. You know, Paul and I were walking down the street. <laughs> Ringo was going to be the best man at my friend's wedding and all that stuff. You right. know? We used our imaginations then, you know. We didn't, re- we didn't have other things to fill in imagination. We didn't need other people's. We had our own. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. Uh, so anyway, I read in a, in a in magazine about the Beatles. They could hang out in this place in London called Soho, and nobody bothered them. So uh, I was at my friend's house, and I said, look at this. Can you believe they printed this in a magazine to tell you where the Beatles go? Soho. I said, that's where we have to go. <laughs> so finally convinced her that it was a good idea, but she said, well, you know, I never wanted to go to college, but I do have a college fund, and we can use that. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> so oh cool. Oh, my gosh. So funny. So this is what was making it possible, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I look at it this way. I was the brains, and she was the bankroll. Right. Okay, so between, <laughs> Every good operation. <laughs> so throughout the summer, you know, we um, applied for passports, went to the library to learn how to get a passport, applied for passports. Um, there was a, a contest that WHK radio station was having how to get tickets for the Beatle concert. So what they decided to do was you could send in a postcard and they were going to use, they were using an IBM computer to select the postcard. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, because they had seen all the chaos in other cities. They decided that this would help eliminate some of that chaos. So Public Auditorium had 10,000 seats. They already had like over 100,000 postcards being sent in. Wow. Wow. We each sent in our postcards, you know. Oh, my gosh. You know, this was like life or death, having your postcard picked. If your postcard was selected by the IBM computer, you would get a letter in the mail with no return address on the envelope because they were afraid people would steal, you know, the envelopes. So I got a letter, and my friend got a letter. It was like a miracle. So that meant now we knew when we could get our our, um, our TWA plane tickets to leave, which I said, well, let's just leave the next morning. You know, there's no other reason to stick around. We're going to see the Beatles live. We'll go. We'll fly to London, and that's it. So we um, went through the process of getting the tickets. I got front row center. And uh, we saw the Beatles live. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It was unbelievable. I can't imagine. And the, the, the anticipation, anticipation that the two of you must have felt knowing, you know, the next day you're leaving for this incredible adventure. It's got to be yes. mind-blowing. <laughs> it was, it was mind-blowing. It really was. Yeah. Okay. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, and part of my brain that I guess, you know, lives in 2022 is going, how did no one at the airline go, excuse me, children, how old are you? Are you allowed <laughs> to do this? Like Nobody no, asked? Uh, no. I mean, even when we went to the TWA counter to buy the tickets, one-way, two one-way tickets, yes. One of the wow. agents said, <clears throat> oh, so your parents are sending you for vacation. And we both just said, Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh Mm -hmm. wow so we found out i found out later by reading a newspaper article that they're not supposed to sell overseas tickets to unaccompanied minors but they did 
Yay for us. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully for you. That's we amazing. didn't tell any anybody we were going. Yeah. So, so now we had our tickets, we had our passports. You know, our bags were all stashed underneath my friend's bed in her bedroom because we could keep stuff there because her mother worked. So everything was working out great, and um, nobody said anything to us at all. See, those were days where you could you could actually do something like that, you know, mm. because it was an era of innocence, you know, and freedom, like you don't have today. Yeah. This is not an innocent time. It's not a free time, but back then it was. But it was also not a very dangerous time either. Sure, sure. Different world, completely. Yeah. Oh, oh 100%. And how old were you exactly? So 16 oh at that gosh. time. Yeah. I can't even imagine, like, plotting all of that and actually going through with it. Like I never would have. <laughs> Just being resourceful enough at sixteen. Right. I was a I was an absolute idiot at sixteen. <laughs> well I was a I was a very independent uh young lady because of my early childhood where I pretty much had to fend for myself. Had I had it was always dodging uh two alcoholic parents and mm-hmm. we never had enough food and you know, you had to like I was a I was an early survivor, so I just naturally, you know, uh, benefited from the skills that I learned along the way, and it didn't scare me at all, yeah. really, to do it. I just, I said, I'm, we're doing it, I'm planning it, and here we go. Yeah. And once you once you touch down in London, what are you feeling at that point? Because <laughs> when we find, well, I wanted to go to London since I was, you know, twelve because of the Beatles. I granted, you know. Yeah different time obviously but i didn't yeah. finally go until i was 37 i think uh yeah and i somewhere I, in there somewhere in there and i still remember the excitement i felt just being in heathrow just like we've I've made it finally after all these years we finally made it here so it was a wonderful feeling just getting through customs and my planning had ended there so I had no other plans, like no hotel. I didn't know anything else, but I figured, look, this is where everything wonderful is. So nothing could go wrong. It's all going to be fine. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> for 23 days. Yeah, 23 days. So you end up in Soho. I assume you don't run into the Beatles. No, no. Were there any like near sightings or sightings of anyone else in bands that you knew of? Well, we rented a studio flat in, in a section in the Nottingham section of London, which we didn't know it was posh or anything like that. It was a really sweet little place. And then we take the tube down to, um, so it was like 10 minutes. And we started going to, uh, the first night we went to a club called the Marquee Club. Mm-hmm. And that's where we met two boys who were from Liverpool, who were musicians, who were in London. So we got to be friends with them, and um, we started seeing there was live music every night because that's what it was like at that time. Mm-hmm. They had places called coffee bars where no alcohol was served, and music bands played through the through the night, so lots of young people could go. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Rolling Stones had been the house band weeks before at a place called the Fraud Daddy mm-hmm. and the Kinks were now the house band there so and, um, Georgie Fame he played there I mean you know uh, British invasion b- groups were all bubbling up I mean this is where it was all happening right you know? right and we were right in it we were in it while it was bubbling up and happening and forming it was very exciting I mean of course you can't take a view of what the future is going to be like but I know it was so incredibly exciting at that time while we were there. It was Uh, wonderful. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Wow. What a cool time. And, you know, without giving too much more away, you know, from the book, because obviously, you know, I want our listeners to go buy the book, um, which we're going to be giving away a copy, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that's exciting. Um, Where do you find the things, where does the trip turn? That's kind of my question is, when do you realize like, Maybe things aren't going to go so well anymore. <laughs> well, I had no idea that anybody was looking for us. I figured in where I lived that, that they would be happy I was gone. You know, it's the teenage mind, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So I didn't know until my friend Nick, that was the boy, we're walking down Oxford Street. And I see a police officer, Bobby, kind of in the distance, but kind of in my line of sight. It struck me. And I, I had this kind of uh-oh feeling, even though I had no idea what was going on. But he walks up to me, to Bobby. He says, excuse me, miss, are you from the United States? Oh, no. no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I knew it was over. Yeah. But I figured, well, what am I going to do? So now Mick is looking at me like, what's going on? <laughs> so I said, yes. So it turns out that some people, some family in Cleveland had not heard from, you know, the, the two girls, uh, me and my friend. And they were quite worried. Mm-hmm. And let's go along to the station, you know, just to make sure. So we get there. And that they had two big po- missing posters of us in the police station. Oh, wow. And that's when I realized, <laughs> wow, they have our pictures. How does this happen? You know, I couldn't understand it. So, yeah. Ugh. So pretty much, it was the, uh, it was doom time. You yeah, know? I never wanted to go back. So that's when I first knew that it was all going to change rather quickly. Now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I that this is such a great story. Um, I can't wait to dive into the book a bit more myself because I've read little bits and you know sample chapters, and I I, I really want to dive into the whole thing. So this is super exciting. Um, you know, while all this ha- while this is happening, once you uh, once you come back, you know, how do the Beatles kind of maintain their place in your life going forward? Well, there was so much happening when we came back. I mean, we were just treated so horribly, uh, which led to uh, Beatlemania and rock and roll being banned in Cleveland. It was based on us, mm-hmm. you know, what we had done, and uh, there all the restrictions placed on me. You know, from that moment on um, it was just very hard to really think about how things had turned out (laughs) not any way I expected Mm -hmm. you know but I was still able to get my records back and my record player in my bedroom but there was many more things looming over me at that time you know and I was basically forbidden to ever talk about it uh, you know by many entities Mm -hmm. and I was advised to just put it behind me, you know, the shameful, horrible, terrible thing I had done, and to move on with my life. So that's what I did, although Beatles music always has played in the background of my whole life, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that, this is such an interesting story. And as far as, you know, the, you know, you obviously, I know you said you're still in Cleveland, um, you know, with with all this, you know, with the story that, you, that you've had and the life you've had and the the interesting you know idea of rock and roll being banned in a city which then has the rock and roll hall of fame you know yeah. all these years later you know what yeah. what's kept you in cleveland out of curiosity so ironic right well i didn't stay in cleveland when i graduated high school i went i got married to a man who was a musician big surprise <laughs> and we wound up yeah right we wound up in in the village in new york because that's where musicians had to go mm-hmm and I was already a very good writer and a journalist. When I graduated high school, I was a cub reporter for the Columbus Dispatch, which was Columbus's only daily and Sunday newspaper. When I went to New York, I got into journalism and writing, and I was working for different magazines. And then an opportunity presented itself to me to start writing for a private investigation company in Manhattan, which walked me into becoming an investigator which is really, that was really uh, my true calling career-wise. Yeah. So I had a lot of great cases there. and uh, But I'm also a 9-11 World Trade Center survivor. Oh, wow. And um, a few years after 9-11, I wasn't really doing as great as I thought I should be. And my brother and sister-in-law said, well, why don't you just come back to Cleveland just for a week or two? And I came back, I decided, you know what, the best thing for me right now is to just cut all my ties in New York City and come back here to Cleveland. My intention was just to stay for two years. And then I was gonna I was gonna um, go to law school and then go back to New York and take the bar 
to become an attorney for the Legal Aid Society mm -hmm. of New York. That's where I had last worked as an investigator. But God had a totally different plan for me, and I wound up staying. And I was really very concerned about it all because I had never faced the ghosts of my past. Mm -hmm. You know, my terrible childhood, the thing how I had shamed everybody and just brought everything down. You know, when you leave a place, you leave it in a certain state. And somehow when you think when you go back, no matter how many years later, you're going to pick up, it's going to be the same, right? Because mm -hmm. you haven't grown any at all in that place. You've mm -hmm. grown in another place. Right. So actually, it wasn't even my idea to write this book. But I started, the memories always stayed with me. And I had could only relive them in my mind because I was forbidden to speak of them. And I kept that because I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore, which mm -hmm. I had done. Um, but all of a sudden, once again, I'm listening to the radio. Paul McCartney is singing. He's going to be appearing in Cleveland for his one-on-one -on -one concert. And I was struck by Beatles' song the second time in my life. And it was Paul McCartney's song. I think he was singing Blackbird. And I said, oh, my gosh. I can finally talk about my story out loud, you know? There's nothing, I don't have to worry about anybody. There's no Cuyahoga County Court juvenile judges anymore. There's no teachers, no relatives. Nobody can tell me what to do. Yeah, you're, you're free finally, yeah. I'm <laughs> finally free. But I had to come back to Cleveland to gain that freedom. Wow. So I was I was telling somebody I know about, about it. And he said, no. That's one of the best stories that I ever heard in my life. He said, tell me more. I told him everything. And he said, Janice, just start writing, writing it down. I said, what do you mean? He says, don't you understand? You have a book to write. I said, I do? <laughs> he said, of course you do. So I said, okay. And I started writing it. And when did you start writing it? Uh, I started doing my research around the end of 2016 and then i started finding more newspaper articles that i found in, in like in england mm -hmm. there was a tremendous amount of newspaper and uh international coverage it was incredible mm -hmm. which you'll see in the first two pages of my book where i have all the headlines because mm -hmm. we didn't know how we were being searched for by local police scotland yard and even the beatles were engaged in trying to do something to find us and the Rolling Stones, too. Mm -hmm. wow. So it was every day. It had so much international attention, you know. So I found so many newspaper articles. It was, like, incredible. Yeah. So that really helped me to, to um, figure out, you know, really I'll get all my timelines down and everything. So I spent time doing that. And then plus there was all the emotional upheaval, thinking about what I, the pain, you know, I really caused. And stuff about life I had to face that I wouldn't have faced if I hadn't come back here. So it was all meant to be. Yeah. The book was a really cathartic experience for me. Mm -hmm. Plus I really enjoyed finally able to tell like everything, you yeah. know? So in my book, I'm reliving it and I'm actually taking you the reader along, you know, with me mm -hmm. everywhere I go, you're with me on my whole journey. Wow. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. This is such a beautiful story. Um, I, I find myself wondering, uh, were you ever, or were you, or have you been able to track down, uh, the two musicians that you were hanging out with, uh, from Liverpool? Oh, my beautiful, wonderful Mick. Yeah. Yes. We had one final phone call and he, I, I was afraid he was going to be mad at me, mm -hmm. but he just said, just let me know when you're coming back Ugh. without, without all the mystery and cloak and dagger stuff. So I always held on to that, oh. and um, but that was that was the last time, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. I'm hoping when I go to Liverpool, maybe he'll show up. <gasps> Liverpool yeah. Echo interviewed me about it. There you so go. I appeared in the paper, yeah. Oh my God, if he comes, you have to email us. I have to know. I love a story <laughs> like this. That's so dramatic. I love it. <laughs> have you have you tried to find him on Facebook or social media? No. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I, no, I tried. I keep my eyes open, but no. And I was hoping that when the Echo story came out, Liverpool Echo, because in the newspapers over there, you can still make comments, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I was really scouring those comments, hoping hoping somebody would say, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Sure, you know, but that didn't happen. Wow. Oh, man. Well, I, I've got my fingers crossed that he shows up at, at, at International Beetle Week because that would be amazing. Oh, that my God. That would be so great. <laughs> I love it. You know, because Liverpool is kind of a small town, really. Mm -hmm. People are very tight there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very tight, happen. very friendly. You'd never know. I almost feel oh, like yeah. we know like five people in Liverpool. We should ask. <laughs> Do you know anyone you know who was a musician in the 60s in Liverpool named Mick? See if we can find out. <laughs> well, he did go to, he used to play at the Cavern. Okay, okay. Oh, that's something. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put on my investigator hat now. <laughs> Try to help you with this. Well, so were you like legally barred from talking about this? Because you mentioned judges. Like, Well, the judge came down very hard on us. <gasps> very hard. Oh, yeah. He took that opportunity to make a speech because he had taken his daughter to the same Beatles concert. And that's uh -huh. where he observed behavior that was totally outrageous oh. by all the, the most 90% of the audience was girls jumping up and down screaming crying rushing crazily towards the stage and I'm sure he was really shocked by that right none of that's so, illegal though <laughs> so <laughs> well I mean he said that we had been normal children before the influence of this rock and roll music oh my god and how it was like a drug mm -hmm. that could cause riots. He wasn't really wrong about that. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said that any parent who allowed their child to go to that concert unaccompanied should hang their head in shame. Wow. Yeah. And he, we, I mean, I was adjudicated juvenile delinquent. Wow. For being uh, truant and wayward, waywardness. What? That's so wow. ridiculous. Oh my goodness! Probation for a year. Wow, that is wild. It was very harsh. Yeah. Extremely. It was strictly punitive because, yeah. you know, we had we were girls and girls didn't act like that. Mm -hmm. uh, probably would have been different if it was two boys. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. But we we really went outside the norm of what a teenage girl was supposed to act like in 1964. We were just. It was totally unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So he. He had to come down really hard on us, you know. And then the next morning, of course, the mayor piggybacked that and said, the mayor of Cleveland said, this music does not serve our community. And he banned rock and roll and Beatlemania performances from all public venues in Cleveland. Wow. Yeah. Nerds. It's very harsh. <laughs> that is, that's such an absurd reaction. Yeah. And it's interesting also because it feels like a precursor to the backlash in 1966, you know, when they published the interview where John says, you know, we're more popular than Jesus. And then down here in the Bible belt in the South, they have all these record burnings and they're banning them from playing on, playing yeah. them on the radio. And it's just, yeah. you know, this absurd kind of stuffy shirt reaction. Uh, you know. Oh yeah. And the day after our court date, Rolling Stones were going to be appearing at public auditorium, the same place. Mm -hmm. you know where Beatles had just appeared in an incredibly successful concert but because of this parent even though it was sold out they only had the first four rows were had, because uh, parents were not allowing their children to go to wow. the concert wow yeah huh. I read m many years later like just not that long ago the Beatles uh, the, the Stones were absolutely furious mm-hmm and their manager demanded an apology from the judge and the mayor, which, of course, you know, never going to get right. That. They're not going to mm -hmm. get that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that kind of weighed on me, too. You know, right. because I was allowed to read the newspaper and it said in the newspaper that the Stones had given us two free tickets to that concert. And also, we were going to be able to go backstage. Oh, I read that and I was so excited and I was thinking. Wow, how come nobody told me about this, you know? Right. I wonder who's taking me. Right. <laughs> wow, that's so, and then wow. and it, it's wow. amazing to like that they're so, that the stones are supporting the two of you. And you know, you're kind yeah. of representing this youth culture movement and they're going, yeah, like this is the future. This is what it should be. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 
Wow. So have you ever gotten to see the Stones then? Well, I met them that summer. There you go. <gasps> yes. You'll probably read about how that occurred. Oh yeah. my gosh. I wound up in their dressing room when they were going on the Mike Douglas show. Oh, yeah. wow. It was just pure happenstance how yeah. that came about. And then uh, Bill Wyman invited me to go with them on their tour. <laughs> <laughs> which I couldn't because I'm already going to England, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. I've got plans to go try to meet the Beatles in England. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you over there if you're around. <laughs> well, I, I, I wrote him a letter actually when I knew I was going. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so funny. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> wow. This is so much fun. I, I could listen to this for hours. I can't read to, I can't wait to dive into the book, but we do have to talk okay. about this week's song. So let's turn our focus yeah. a little bit. Uh, friends, coming in this week at number 136 is Michelle. Appears on the band's 1965 album Rubber Soul, the origins of Michelle go all the way back to 1959. Now, as Paul has recalled many times, the instrumental idea for the song was something he wrote early on when first start when he first started to write songs. Uh, he figured out a finger picking pattern based around Chet Atkins melodies and kind of married it with French pop stylings that were popular uh, in the UK on the radio at the time. Paul recalls going to parties thrown by an art school teacher of John's and that he'd often sit in the corner sporting a dark turtleneck, smoking cigarettes, and moodily playing this vaguely French-sounding guitar melody to try and entice girls at the party into thinking that he was an exotic Frenchman. Now, Paul would eventually demo this melody in 1963, and again at some point in 1965 before, supposedly at John's suggesting, trying to turn it into a complete song. So to do this, he sought the help of Jan Vaughn, a French teacher and the wife of his childhood friend Ivan Vaughn. Uh, he asked her to help come up with uh, French versions of the lyrics and comparable rhymes. So based on her suggestion of Ma Belle rhyming with Michel, he came back with, these words go together well, to which she replied in French, son les mots qui vont, tr- qui vont très bien ensemble. Or so, he, that's at least the version that he tells us. Uh, John claims credit for the bridge section of the song, uh, saying he based the I love you, I love you, I love you lyric off of uh, part of Nina Simone's cover of I Put a Spell on You, which had been released in the summer of 1965 during the time in which the band were writing and starting to work on ideas that might end up on the record that will become Rubber Soul. So on November 3rd of 1965, the band gather at EMI's Abbey Road Studios to spend the day working on this song. Following a bit of rehearsal, only one take was needed to capture a backing track, with Paul and George both playing acoustic guitars, John on a nylon string guitar, and Ringo on drums. That evening, the lads work out vocal overdubs and the guitar solo, which was written out uh, by George Martin and played presumably by George Harrison. Uh, the, the song was released a month later in December on Rubber Soul, appearing on both the UK and US versions. It was never performed live by the band. Of course, Paul has performed it off and on throughout his solo career. And while never released as a single, it did receive significant airplay in the US and was awarded the Song of the Year Grammy in 1966. It's also been one of Paul's most covered songs, and in 1999, BMI named it the 42nd most performed song of the 20th century. Not bad for a day's work for a song that was written as a party trick to pick up girls. So, why do I have Michelle at number 136? Honestly, I don't quite know. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a hard time trying to kind of validate this. Uh, There's so much to love about this song. You know, on an album... On Rubber Soul, where they're really starting to kind of spread their wings and move away from their beat group origins, it's interesting that one of the oldest ideas they have sounds so unlike anything that they've been doing up until this point. 
Melodically, it's just a beautiful track. Uh, the way the guitar melodies kind of move up and the bass moves down at the same time is really sophisticated. And it's almost like Paul's kind of achieving that party goal, that party trick here of being the sophisticated, mysterious guy in the corner playing guitar because the song is, you know, musically and parts wise, especially his bass part, actually pretty sophisticated. Um, his vocal, of course, is just fantastic here. The background harmonies are beautiful. I really love just kind of the feel of the acoustics and the nylon string. Uh, guitar and the guitar solo had that kind of sounds a bit muddier it's got kind of the high end kind of dialed back on the guitar gives it some really authentic kind of jazzy vibes um, so they really do manage to capture that kind of smoky dark black turtleneck image that he was going for originally um, this is one of those songs that kind of falls into the category of i can't imagine any other band in 1965 pulling this song off uh, which i think is one of the things that always separates the beatles from the rest of the pack I honestly don't have anything bad to say about this song. Every song needs a spot in the list. Um, some people might kind of call the Michel Mabel rhyme scheme kind of silly, but it feels, you know, along with the entire element of using French in the song, it feels more playful, I think, to me, more so than, you know, silly or lacking or unimaginative. Um, I think it's just a bit more clever than that. Um, this is one that I don't often seek out, but I always love it when it comes on. I think it's a fantastic song. So that's my two cents on Michelle. What do you think about this? Well, you know, speaking of Chet Atkins, I just want to drop this in, but he performs Michelle. I watched it on a YouTube. Yes, he does. Really? It's absolutely magnificent. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to check that down. You pull that up. Yeah. You will love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but this song, Michelle... It's just, it feels so personal. It's so rich. And when you know the history of how it was put together, it's, I think it's one of the best songs that Paul McCartney ever did. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, I think it's underrated. If you want to talk about an underrated song. Yeah, yeah. This sure. is one of them. Yeah. Uh, it's just beautiful. You know, I feel like he's singing it to me. I probably would be that girl, you know, in the club coming over there. He could have gotten picked me up right away with this one <laughs> right <laughs> but it's just so rich and george martin you know producing and partly writing this song <clears throat> is outstanding because george martin he's brilliant mm -hmm. and a classical musician you know there's hard to find anybody better than george martin so i think that it's a real uh makes it stand out even more but i love everything about it and french I love French. It's very so romantic, you mm -hmm. know. I don't even care what he's saying. You know, it's just so beautiful. The lyrics are just lovely. The melody, you know, the chords, uh, you know, that Chet Atkins finger picking style that he incorporates into this. Who puts finger picking and French stuff, French musicians and poetry, but Bohemia together in one? wonderful song and make it all work yeah mm -hmm. it's just appealing on so many levels it just it takes me away whenever i hear it it's so beautiful yeah and i know it's been performed you know by others and because who wouldn't want to if you were capable to really do michelle right mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to because it's just so lovely yeah but i think you got to raise it up a little yeah i feel like maybe i don't know that i got this one right um do you remember when you the first time you heard Rubber Soul? Well, I don't remember the first time, but I know Norwegian Wood has been one of my favorites. Mm. It was my very favorite for a very long time. You know, right after I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand is it's it's a part of my DNA. Yeah. So to say that anything could come above I want to hold your hand is impossible. Right. But <laughs> Norwegian Wood I just love and I went back to try fooling around with the piano a little bit, and that was the song I learned how to play. It was Norwegian nice. Wood. Oh, that's great. Yeah. How, yeah. how did that? How did their growth kind of strike you in real time? You know, coming from that, you know, December of '63 here, and I want to hold your hand, and then December of '65, you've got Norwegian Wood and Michelle, and it's almost like a whole new band is coming out at this point. You know, they were always reinventing themselves as they went along. They were just so amazingly talented. And then when they were able to start, you know, using technology, you know, mm -hmm. 
um, that just put them into a whole nother dimension. Um, one of my favorites is Live and Let Die. Yeah. I love that. So huge. Mm -hmm. That is just absolutely phenomenal piece. Yeah. So they, to me, that's a level that, well, that was Beatles and Wings. Mm -hmm. What an incredible level that was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I just always was delighted and amazed everything that they ever did. They can't do anything wrong as far as I'm concerned. So creative. Yeah. I love that you're just like along for the ride because there's, there's some people feel very strongly that like early Beatles is great and later Beatles is not or vice versa. But you were just like, give it all to me. I want it all. <laughs> it's all good. I love it all. Thumbs up. I'm on the yellow submarine. I'm everywhere. I'm in Strawberry <laughs> No matter what, I'm, I'm traveling with them everywhere they go. I love, I love it. it. <laughs> in for the journey. I love it. Julia, what do you think about Michelle? I kind of feel like you got this one a little wrong, too. Yeah. I love this song. I think it is just so charming and so cute. And it makes me want to, like, dance around the room whenever it comes on. Like, it's just, it's so fun. It's very, it's light, mm -hmm. like, in the performance. Yeah. Like, it just, it feels very, like, spacious and light to me. Mm -hmm. um, I just, it, it makes me happy. And it makes me happy to think about, like, little tiny Paul McCartney, you know, like, f how old is he? Like 14 like or 15 16, or something. Yeah, just like maybe. being like a little awkward teenager before he turns into the very cool guy that we know he is. Um, just being like insecure and like trying to pick up chicks with, you know, just like <laughs> trying to be someone he's completely not. It's just so adorable yeah. to me. I love yeah. it. I I love that vision of him just like sitting at a party, you know, just like smoking cigarettes and a black t and a black turtleneck, just like so good. It makes me want to put on a black turtleneck and smoke a cigarette and drink wine and eat bread and cheese, like right. and listen to the song on repeat. That's what I want. I know. Let's do that right now. Right. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would do that. Uh, I, uh, this is one of those songs that I think is so good at like, and Paul is so good at this. Um, he kind of can create these little m movies in your mind, mm -hmm. not just with the lyrics, but with his melodies and the sonics of a record and like the way the music kind of moves together. And this is like the musical representation of, you know, walking through like a kind of a rainy, you know, muggy, you know, day in France, you know, and drinking, you know, yeah. coffee under a, under a awning and smoking cigarettes and you know just yeah. watching passers-by you know yeah or at least and like wearing a, a beret yeah yes <laughs> at least like a, a british pop version of that though yeah yeah it's such a sweet endearing song mm -hmm. and that bass line is just really cool so good. it's so good <laughs> i think oh, yeah. i really love you know this is one of the things where you know there's always a lot of talk about you know people will, will compare paul and John and George as guitarists. And Paul is such a naturally gifted guitarist um, that he's, you know, come up with a part when he's 16 or 17 that is really challenging for any level of guitarist to figure out. Um, and then he comes up with this bass line that is, you know, music, th you know, theory-wise is I couldn't explain to you how it works, but it just does because, and he doesn't know the music theory. He just knows how to do it. And that's, kind of the glorious gift of all things Paul McCartney mm -hmm. is he just figures out how to make it work. Yeah. Well, he has such a, a fine ear, even that he was uh, attracted to Chet Atkins playing in that particular way with that bass line, that that really meant something to him and he was going to master that mm -hmm. at such an early age. He's just a genius. Yeah. You know? And he, he absorbed so much of what was around him. So, you know, like, in the late fifties, like Juliet Greco and Edith Piaf and things like that are, are kind of popular on the radio, but not necessarily like for the teens. That's more like maybe what his dad might be listening to on the radio, like on pop radio at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. he's absorbing all these things and just kind of putting them in the back of his head for one day if he needs it. And it's just, it's kind of incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think I got this wrong. I don't think 136 is right. I think this should be higher. I don't know where, but okay. I kind of think it maybe could 
be closer to 100 somewhere in there. I might jump this up a whole bunch. Do you think I'm pretty okay. off on this one? Yeah, you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. There's no right or wrong answer here. You can totally well, tell me. That's I'm wrong. why we're. That's why we're having this discussion. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Don't apologize, Jan. You're right. <laughs> you think I'm wrong? I'm I, off. I think you're a little off. Yeah. I'm. I'm a little surprised right here. I don't know. But then it's hard because there's so much amazing. Yeah. So it's. <sighs> yeah. It's hard, but I feel like this one should be up a little bit. Yeah, I think I think you might be right. I yeah. might have to reconsider this yeah. at some point in life. Maybe like nine, maybe like ninety nine. Yeah, well, that's the consideration now. Is is it top hundred fodder, mm. or is it yes. like, is it maybe close there? But I, I don't know. I gotta I gotta put some brain power into this one. I think at some point when we get towards the end of the podcast, I'm gonna do kind of a reconsidering of everything and see what has changed for me over time and like i've kind of marked a few that i know i've i know i think differently of now or i know i goofed on this and this is way too low so this is probably one that's gonna get a good bump up at some point but oh i can't wait to see where you actually where it winds up right same (laughs) well we've got a little bit of time unfortunately because we've still got 135 more to go oh but we'll get there we'll get there well, before we let you go for the evening, and this has been so much fun, uh, can we do a few quick rapid fire questions before we wrap up for the night? All right. All right. Great, great, great. Now, the rapid fire questions are almost never rapid, so don't feel like you have to be rapid. Um, your favorite Beatles song? I want to hold your hand. Got to be. Love of it. Of course. Got it. Um, you're, do you have a least favorite Beatles song? Well, I thought about that. I thought, hmm, well, Paul McCartney, has songs that he didn't really like very much that surprised me mm-hmm. and two of them were from the very beginning times that i loved i'm happy just to dance with you mm-hmm. he didn't like that one very much but i loved it yeah and i did i did i danced with that one and hold me tight i love that too those are like part of my my teenage years so yeah. that he didn't like them was kind of shocking interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i can't I don't, can't think of anything right now I don't like. Fair enough. You're all in. Jan's yeah. all in. I'm, I love it. <laughs> I'm all in. I You're all it. in. It's fine. <laughs> uh, favorite Beatles album? Well, my favorite Beatles album in this, uh, you know, introducing the Beatles. Yeah. That was one of the first one where everything on that album, it's just so before the technology days kicked in. You know, Anna, Chains, Please Please Me. Mm-hmm. I loved all that. And then Rubber Soul. So those are my two favorites. I love it. Yeah. I, I see you've got a copy of Introducing the Beatles yeah, right there behind the v, you. <laughs> the VJ version, yeah. Oh, so cool. So cool. Um, do you, is there a, uh, do you think that, uh, what do you think is the most overrated Beatles song? That's that a tough really one. hard. That is very tough. I don't know. I mean, for me. I just don't. I mean, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Because. Jan's like, they're all perfect. They're all underrated. They kind of are. (laughs) They kind of are. (laughs) What we've learned today. I can't think of a song that I feel is underrated. Um, Yeah. I mean, I even love Rocky Raccoon. That's one of my very favorites. Yes. That's my other question is, uh, what do you think is is an underrated Beatles song? Besides Michelle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not my ratings. But <laughs> uh, well, uh, so hard. Well, I don't know. I love Rocky Raccoon, and maybe it's just too silly for a lot of people, but I request that song a lot whenever there's a, a time to request on a radio station. I'll say, can you please play Rocky Raccoon? It's so much fun. It is. That is like the most fun song that I think Paul McCartney ever did. It's just so silly about mm-hmm. Gideon's Bible and thinking that Gideon's Bible belonged to a guy named Gideon. I just love all that stuff. <laughs> Every time we go to a hotel and we're like checking in and like unpacking, she opens the door. She's like, Gideon's Bible. <laughs> Literally just did <laughs> that did like, like three, weeks, three ago. weeks ago. Yep. I was like, we were checking yeah, in. I'm and I was not like, finding is. Bibles in hotel rooms much anymore. Oh, really? Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I wonder it's if they're just putting shocking. them in. Yeah, that's, that's, I thought they had like, thousand year deals on those kind of things (laughs) that's really intriguing um your favorite beatles memory associate and it can be 
you know, going to a concert or a song was playing during a certain thing, or I don't know, you ran away to England to go meet them. I mean, <laughs> that's probably my favorite memory. Yeah. 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 Well, seeing them live in concert, you know, on night, September 15th, 1964, where there they are, you know, for the very first time I get to actually see them. Yeah live you know right in front of me i was like yeah. 10 feet from the stage wow it was like just unbelievable i mean yes ed sullivan was fantastic that was our first time to ever see them actually moving around you mm. know but to see them in person like that wow i mean it absolutely stunning and then i did see paul for his one-on-one -on -one concert <clears throat> amazing the man is brilliant oh god yeah he truly is. He just give. He loves his audience, and he's there to give you whatever he can. And this goes from song to song to song. Never take a break. Mm -hmm. Instrument to instrument to instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just like. He's just an amazing man. You know, yeah. really, he's a gift. Man, well, absolutely. I feel like if you ever find Mia Paul shawl, you need to get two and send one to Jan. Yes. I think she would appreciate it. We have this yes. like long running joke of like, I need like a little shawl with Paul on it. Like I need a little Paul shawl, just like wrap myself in his gloriousness whenever I feel the need. And yeah. so I, I think two. One for me, one for Jan. Okay. okay. Yeah, if you can find one, you can find two. Right? Exactly. 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 <laughs> so I also want to know when you saw them live in person. In 64, could you hear the music over the screaming? I was wondering the same. Oh, no way. <laughs> no way. You couldn't hear a thing. Wow. And yet they just kept on playing. You could see their mouths moving and, wow. you know, they, were, they weren't lip syncing or anything. They were actually playing. You know, in those days, a concert, it didn't even last 30 minutes. And mm -hmm. they, it was a 12-song set. But in Cleveland because the cops stopped the show for 10 minutes. You know, that was like unheard of, always forever unheard of that the cops stopped them for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. But that made it 40 minutes, but still it was really less than 30, a 30 minute set. So it was over so fast. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And you know, I know we couldn't hear anything. Cause there's no like modern PA like we have now. It was just like, right. They would just play through their amps on mm -hmm. the stage. Correct. So there was like no amplification, like. And we're just constant screaming. for the And you time. were front and center. So mm -hmm. if you couldn't hear it, certainly no one else could hear it. <laughs> no one could hear it. No. That's wild. That's wild. Uh, such a bummer. <laughs> like a real, but I mean, I guess like what an amazing opportunity to just like be in the room and experience that firsthand. But I wish you could have heard a little bit. That would have been really cool. <laughs> well, I was upset with all the screaming and all the out of control kids because yeah. you're ruining the concert. Right. You're really... like, shh, I'm not here for y'all. Yeah, please, you know. I want to hear these guys <laughs> oh over my here. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I was very upset about that. Ladies, pipe down. <laughs> and then you... What could you do? I mean, yeah. just being yeah. there front and center was like the main thing. I didn't, I didn't get hurt or anything, so thank God. Yeah. I stayed in my seat the whole time. A good Catholic girl. <laughs> a good role model. <laughs> and then, you know, two days later, they're here in New Orleans for the only uh, time they played oh, in New Orleans. Yeah. Just wow. two days later. Yeah. That's wild. So there you go. That's really far to go in two days. And they were jetting everywhere. Yeah. Like, and then they yeah. flew the next day to, after New Orleans, they went to Kansas City. I just looked this up. Oh, that's they funny. They flew to Kansas City. They were supposed to have a day off in New Orleans because they really wanted to go explore the city and meet, you know, all the musicians that they grew up loving. Yeah. But yeah. some, you know, super mega rich promoter threw a bunch of money and they added a date to the tour that wasn't supposed to actually happen. Sad. So it was like kind of a last minute addition to the tour and they they hit the road. Sad. Yeah. So there you go. Well, Janice, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, where can our guests get a copy of your book? Where can they keep up with you and whatever you have going on? Well, you can always get a copy on Amazon anywhere. Mm -hmm. And online also Barnes and Noble, online Target, uh, some I know whatever bookstores might be near people. Um, my Facebook page, my Facebook book page is my ticket to ride Beatles fan book, book fan, I think, or Jan Mitchell, just my first, my profile page, mm -hmm. Jan Mitchell, just go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
easier. And I have a web page, website, Janice-Mitchell.com. You can go there and you could message me if you want to. Uh, and if you want a, an autograph copy and you're not in Cleveland, you can go online to, hmm, wait a second, I always forget this. <laughs> My, my ticket to ride book.com. That's my publisher. Awesome. He's got a direct link and you've got an autographed copy right there. Wonderful. Yeah. So there's a, numerous ways. Love it. And, uh, and what's next for you? I know you mentioned you're going to the international Beatle festival, uh, in Liverpool at the end of this month. Um, but yeah. what's, what's on the cards after that? Well, other things are bubbling up. Some of them I can't talk about yet. Wonderful. And then I'm going to, I'm starting my next book, which is about my investigation. Excellent. So, Very yeah, cool. That's, Wonderful. I had um, quite a, um, a a renowned investigation career where mm. I solved a lot of different cases that were big, high-profile cases. Uh, I can. I'm going to start. I'll talk about my um, undercover work with uh, the gang in Canal Street. I did counterfeit. Rolex watches. Wow. And um, what that story is all about, you know, so that's another really, that's how I broke into investigations working on that case for Rolex. Mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of stuff, you know, a, a variety of cases that I'm anxious to share. And I want to take people along on the journey the same way as yeah. in my book. And I think it's a good way to go. It's, it's what works for me. I want to relive it and I want my reader to relive it with me. And I think that that's a, a good way to go. One of my big writing influences is J.D. Um, Salinger, The Catcher in the Rye. Mm -hmm. If you ever read that book, oh, yeah. that's like a classic. Mm -hmm. His writing style really meant a lot to me. So whenever I want to refresh myself as to how you should really be writing, pick Salinger. up that Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger. Yeah. Yeah. One of my big influences. Oh, that's awesome. Along with, Nan along with Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ma'am, you have lived a life. That is a lot happening mm -hmm. for one <laughs> lifetime. I'm very excited to read all of your books. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, this has been so much fun. And whenever the next book comes out, we'll have you on here to promote it and talk another song with us because we got a whole bunch more to do. So, <laughs> How many more songs do you have? 135. And with, is this one a week? One uh, week? The plan is always one a week. We just took like four months off, but we're coming as we come back. Uh, we'll probably be one a week, you know, for a good period, and then we'll take another little short break at the end of the year. Um, but the goal is one a week. So okay, I so think I better hurry up and better hurry up and finish my book. I mean, you got a few years. If we're <laughs> yeah. being realistic, we'll be you here got for a, a while. few years to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, you two are so so much fun and just so delightful. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. This has been and super you're both fun. So, you're both so cute. Oh, oh thank thanks. You. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I got really lucky. So. Aww, so sweet. Oh, thank you. Jan Mitchell, everybody. Wow. What a story. I just want to, like, have her tell me stories right? all the time. That's I am, like so much going on i was like on the edge of my seat like just <laughs> listening to these details of stories and just oh my goodness that was so cool so so cool i've always secretly wanted to be a private investigator so i really that. i know i'm pretty sure <laughs> i know yeah um so i really also want to read her other book too yes. yeah <laughs> so we're gonna get that fair enough excellent yeah excellent. um you know it's funny as we as whenever i think about this song uh, i remember in middle school like early middle school, like sixth grade, I took French. There was a girl in my French class named Michelle that I had a crush on. Of course. Yeah. And so I like made her like a little mixtape and had Michelle on it. Mm. Yeah. I shot my shot. No. Failed. Oh, yeah. Miserably. For sure. Yeah. That's fine. It's okay. You got me. I did. I did. You won in the long run. I did. I mean, I'm sure she's having a wonderful life. She's a very nice person. Everything's oh. fine. Do you still know her? Uh, we're Facebook friends, but I haven't spoken to her in probably <laughs> 20 years. But, that's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, that's my Michelle story. So Aww, there you go. That's very cute. Yeah, Friends, did I blow it? I think I blew it. I need you to let me know. Uh, 
is 136 way too low, way too high, or just right for It's Michelle. not just right, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're anywhere near Baby Bear's Porridge this week. No. I think I've blown it. I think yeah. it's I think it's it's old cold cream of wheat this Ew, weekend. Gross. Yeah. That sounds terrible. Sorry about that. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this anymore. But Moving on. <laughs> let us know what you think of the rankings, friends. Uh, wherever you're following us on social media, let us know. If you're looking for us on Facebook, you can find us at Ranking the Beatles. If you want to follow us on Instagram and let us know what you think, you can do that at Ranking the Beatles. Or if you want to chastise me on Twitter, go for it. Just follow us over at Ranking Beatles. Yes. Let us know what you think. Tell a friend what we're doing over here. Tell them, listen to where this idiot put Michelle on his <laughs> ranking of the entire Beatles catalog. What a maroon. And <laughs> a maroon. <laughs> what a maroon. And tell them to tune in and listen to what we do here because maybe I'm wrong, but we sure do have fun. So That is true. We hope you're enjoying it as well. Always a good time here yeah. at Ranking the Beatles. Yeah, and if you are enjoying it, you can swing over to RankingTheBeatles.com. And if you have an extra shekel or two, you can always buy us a cup of coffee on there. That helps us keep the lights on here at Rankin' the Beatles headquarters and pay for our hosting and our podcast stuff and all that stuff. Or you can grab yourself a t-shirt or a koozie or a phone case or... Or a poster to rank your own A poster to rank your own Beatles. There's all kinds of stuff that you can get. Uh, And let us know where you would put Michelle on your rankings. So that's it for this week, y'all. I hope you have a great one. Uh, Until then, we'll see you next time. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.